Well, welcome to those of you that are online. Thank you so much for being a part of our gathering today. We're excited that you're joining us there in your homes, on vacation, wherever you're at. Can we take just a second and welcome those online this morning? Come on, let them know that you're excited that they're joining us. Well, we are in the middle of a gathering or a series we're in the middle of a series called The Stories That Shape Us. The Stories That Shape Us. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn with uh, me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. What we've been doing has been talking about the fact that, that stories uh, make a big impact in our life. That they change our perspective. They touch every uh, part of our emotions. And Jesus regularly taught through this, these things called parables, which are stories that help us understand a deep theological truth in a way uh, that is easy for us to process. And so today we're going to continue to do that. We're going to look at a story that Jesus tells uh, in the scripture that it might be a little less familiar for, for some of us, but it's a story that has a lot of deep meaning. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 20 verse 1. It says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle all day. And he said to them, or he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius for their time. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these men worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them saying, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose, I choose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story. Father, you use this story to help us understand a little bit about you and a little bit about us. And I pray as, as we unpack it, as we talk about it over the next few minutes, that you'd speak to our hearts, you'd challenge us, you'd convict us, you'd do something significant on the inside of us so that we can say that in your presence today, we were changed forever. We ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ, the strong son of God. Amen and amen. 
You know, one of the things that I, I really appreciate and value in my own life is little family traditions, right? Like, I'm not talking about, like, Christmas or, uh, like, big holidays. I really enjoy just um, random little traditions that we do. And one of the things that I've really learned uh, to enjoy over the last probably year is going out and spending time with my kids one-on-one. I've got two kids, Jackson and Eden. Jackson is four years old. Eden is three. Uh, and they'll be four and five uh, in uh, the end of the year going into January. And you do a lot. When your kids are close in age, you do a lot together, right? Because a lot of it's similar. But I enjoy getting to uh, spend time with them one-on-one. And one of the things that I do uh, probably at least about once a month is I'll take Jackson on uh, some father-son time and we go to Bubba's Barbershop. Um, we go to, some of y'all are like, yes, that's where I go. Yeah, I go to Bubba's because it is the most Southern thing about Newburgh. And so for me, being a Southerner, there's just something about going and sitting in a barbershop and listening to some old guys talk. And uh, it's fun to watch my son, like, kind of watch that happen. And so I love going. And so Jackson and I uh, go to Bubba's barbershop. He gets to jump up on the seat. They have this really cool little booster for him that he gets to sit on and and uh, he, he jumps up there. He gets his hair cut first. And when he's done, uh, he gets a Tootsie Pop. And then he sits and watches TV. Um, I always pray that it's something appropriate on the TV. And so, but he'll sit there and watch whatever is on TV and eat his Tootsie Pop and, and chill while I'm getting my hair cut. And when, when we did this about two weeks ago, Jackson uh, looks at me about midway through my haircut. He's, he's uh, halfway through his, his Tootsie Pop. And he says, can I pick a Tootsie Pop for Eden, which is obviously my little girl. Now, here's the thing. Anytime my son is willing to do something that doesn't sound selfish, I'm in, right? Like it's that age that like, hey, you're thinking about somebody else. I'm very appreciative of that. So I said, well, ask Jesse and make sure it's okay, the, the barber. And he said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. So Jackson goes and he picks out a purple uh, Tootsie Pop for Eden. Now, purple because my kids are still in that phase where they pick out colors and not flavors. And so he picked out a, a purple Tootsie Pop because pink and purple are Eden's favorite colors. And so we go home and he is eagerly awaiting giving the Tootsie Pop to Eden. And he walks inside and he declares to Eden, I brought you something. I brought you something. And he hands it to her. And before Eden's about to rip this thing open, I said, wait, 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 Eden, you can't eat the Tootsie Pop right now. And the just devastation of that statement sat on my daughter's face. Like, what do you mean? I, I said, look, we're about to go on daddy-daughter time, and we're going to Gym 100. I promise I'm not getting paid for any of these comments. I'm just telling you what we, we, what we did. So we went to Gym 100, which is like a 1950s-style diner here in town, uh, to go get ice cream because it's got like a, a ton of different options. I said, we're going to go get ice cream, so leave your Tootsie Pop here, and you can have it later. And she looks at me, and she says... Okay, Daddy, that's fine. Ice cream, then Tootsie Pop. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll do that. I'll pay for it later, but we'll do that. And so, so I take Eden to, to Gym 100, and we go in. She picks her pink ice cream, uh, a.k.a. strawberry, and she grabs it, and she, she's sitting in the, the booth with me, and I can tell like there's something on my daughter's mind, right? Like there's something distracting her because normally she's very excited about getting to spend time with dad. And I can tell that there's just something on her mind. And about three licks into that ice cream cone, she says, daddy, can we go home? And 
I said, what are you, what, why, baby, what, why do you want to go home? It's this daddy-daughter time. You've got your ice cream cone. We're going to sit. We're going to have some conversation. It's going to be fun. And she said, I don't want to go home. I said, baby, why do you want to go home? And she said, I want my Tootsie Pop. Now, now let's think about this for a second. She's sitting, like Jim 100 has pretty good ice cream, right? Like it's not like the bottom of the barrel stuff that you buy by the gallon. It's like good stuff. So she's sitting here with this massive ice cream cone because I don't get her the kid one. I get her the adult one because I'm daddy and that's what I do. And so, so she's got like the big ice cream cone and, I'm, and she's thinking about this 10 cent Tootsie Pop that's probably older than she is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a box sitting in a barber shop. They're not fresh, okay? Like, it's not that, okay? And she, she is so focused on this Tootsie Pop that she can't enjoy the thing that has already been given to her. She is so focused on this nasty, decrepit little sucker that's sitting at home that she's missing the thing that she's already been given to enjoy. She has the wrong motivation in the moment. And her motivation is so present in her life in this moment that she completely misses the opportunity of where she's at. And this is not unlike the story that we just read in Scripture. It is not unlike the story that we just read in Scripture. When we read uh, these stories, it's important to know that through all, almost all of them, we can see two different dimensions of understanding. And the first is that we're here to understand something about God, but we're also here to understand something about ourselves and mankind in general. When we read parables, that's what we're doing. And when we talk specifically about this story, we see three different things about God. And we'll come back to the motivation part in a second. But we see three things about God. The first thing that we see about God is that we understand how God views humanity, we understand how God views humanity. When we read this story, not unlike the first story that we read in this series, in the story of the two lost sons, we see that um, he's making it very clear that he loves all of his creation. And he loves them all the same. That, as we said on the first week, that God loves mankind, not just our kind. That God redeems mankind, not just our kind. And so he is going after every single person that he has ever created because he deeply desires to be in right relationship with them. And whether, as this story so beautifully illustrates, you've been for, with God since the beginning that, of your life that you can remember. Some of you came out of the womb and got saved, or you've been saved five minutes. God looks at you, and he does not see you as better or worse. He sees you as his children and his creation that he loves and deeply wants to be in a relationship with. That this is indicative of how he feels about all of humanity, that regardless of when you found Jesus, he gives you the same grace, he gives you the same mercy, he gives you the same gift as he gives everybody else, which is why our church is so focused on those who don't yet know him, because we know that regardless of whether you've been saved 40 years or 40 minutes, that relationship he equally desires to have with those who don't yet know him. That's why we, why we say we want to be a church that inspires people to know Jesus. It's why we say that we deeply want you to know God and find freedom in your life, because we know know that God cares just as much for those that are not here and not in a relationship with him as the people who have known him their entire lives. 
He cares deeply about humanity. The second thing that we see in this story is that God's version of justice and fairness are different than ours. God's version of justice and fairness are different than ours. We see it differently. We, we operate in it differently. Most of us, when we read this story, if you're anything like me, I read this story and I go, well, yeah, I'd probably be irritated too, right? You know, you see somebody that works less than you getting the same reward that you do. It's probably frustrating. Yet because of God's deep love for humanity, because he all loves us the same, because he, all, he desires for us all to be in right relationship with him, it influences and informs his justice and his fairness in our life. That for us, we look at it, we look at justice and fairness from a place of earning, but God looks at it as this opportunity to give us all the same gift. That none of us deserve the grace that we've been afforded. None of us deserve the relationship that we have with God. Yet he chooses to give it all to us as soon as we are open to that gift. His justice and fairness are different than ours. He sees it differently. And then the third thing that we see about God that I think is super important for us, to, for us to process and understand about God is that he chooses to exercise authority based on the kingdom of God and not based on your preference. And this is, this is a tough reality because what we want, if we're honest, is a God that makes sense to us in, in the way that we process things in this world, not for us to have to change the way that we process information in order to understand him. And there's a reason why this story starts with the statement, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's telling us that there is a kingdom of this world and that there is a kingdom of heaven. And that they're different. They have a different mode. They have a different philosophy. It has a different rhythm than we have in the world that we live in. And what he's showing us in this story is even though we may process his justice and mercy unfair in the world that we live in, he does not care because he is God. And he's going to do what he believes is right, what is right. And this is so important that we understand this, that it is our job as people who follow Jesus not to try to rationalize what we don't understand or don't agree with, but to allow it to influence and change how we think about the world that we live in. And this is what this story is helping us understand about God, that, that he loves humanity deeply, that not only does he love humanity deeply, he has a a type of justice and fairness that is different than how we would view it because of his love for humanity and that he will choose to exercise that in our benefit even though it doesn't make sense to us. So what then is this story telling us about ourselves? It's speaking to our motivation, the motivation of our heart. Motivation is interesting because when we look throughout scripture, we can see a lot of things that tell us that, that we are to focus on what we feel and what we um, know to be true in our soul versus the, the outer appearance, right? It says in the Old Testament that man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. We see this all throughout the scripture, that there is a, that there is a focus for God with us to learn to look internally and to, and to be able to see and view the world in the way that Christ has called us to view it. And our motivation, how we live our life, 
is what ultimately allows us to see if we're seeing this life the way Jesus has called us to, or if we're seeing it through uh, the, the eyes of the world that we live in. And there's ultimately, when it comes to people who say that they follow Jesus, there's two different ways that we view our motivation or have motivation. The first one is this, that we choose to live our life devoted to Christ out of out of gratitude for what he has already done and what he has promised. This is the motivation that God calls us to have. That we live a life of thankfulness and gratitude because of the work that he's already done for us. But then there's this other motivation, which is what we see in the lives of the men who began working early in the morning. And that is the motivation that I am going to earn what I believe God is going to give me. That I'm working towards it, that I'm doing what it takes in order to receive what God uh, says that he will give me. It's an earning mentality. It's, a, it's an attitude that says that everything in my life is something that I, I have earned and that I have acquired by my own ability. And Jesus is helping us understand in this story that when we choose to do this, we actually have the wrong motivation. We actually have the wrong motivation. It's also talked about not only in this passage, but several places throughout Scripture. One of the places that we see it uh, often, or we, we talk about it often, is the statement that we are saved by grace through faith. So what? So that no man could boast. That we are saved by grace through faith because our actions could never, uh, could never earn the salvation that we've received through Jesus' sacrifice. It could never do it. Yet for so many of us, even though we intellectually know that, we live in a culture that in every other aspect of our life says that we're to be earners, says that we're to work to earn the things that we want. And so we bring that into our own spirituality. We bring that into our own relationship. And we, and we try to make the, the way that we think here on earth match the kingdom of heaven. And this story is saying to us, that is not the right motivation. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that, that because we live a life that is motivated um, by God's grace, that we just do whatever we want. Like, that's not what we're saying at all. But what we are saying is that there is a different posture of my heart and a different way that I live my life and more attributes that are more like Jesus when I live a life motivated out of the grace and the gift of salvation that I have already received. There, is, there are attributes of who Jesus is that, that we are more generous, we are more gracious, we are more merciful when we live out of the reservoir of the grace that we have received and trust that and live out our life. The problem, though, is that many of us walk around with the wrong motivation. Uh, 2 Corinthians actually gives a really good picture of what that sounds like. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this. It says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve his, uh, by his cunning, your thoughts have led you astray from a sincere devotion to Christ. He's not saying in this, in this passage that they've completely abandoned their faith. He's saying that they have a different devotion. He's saying that they have a different motivation and the problem is what that motivation, what wrong motivation does in our life. Wrong motivation will always lead us to unhealthy mentalities. This is in your notes, that wrong motivation will always lead you uh, to unhealthy mentalities. 
that when I have the wrong motivation, when I think about my life in the context of earning, when I think about my life in the context of I just need to do what it takes in order to earn God's favor or to earn God's blessing or to earn God's whatever nomenclature you choose to use, that, that gives us unhealthy mentalities. It makes us critical of other people. It makes us critical of, of what uh, blessing and what other things are going on in other people's lives that makes us judgmental, which is exactly what we see in this story. It creates a, not only that, this isn't in your notes, this is, this is a freebie. It creates a, uh, a mentality of scarcity. Because in this, in this moment, the mentality that this guy is looking at, he's not unhappy because he's not getting what he was owed. He's unhappy because he saw somebody that he perceived as doing less work than him receiving the same amount. It creates a lack of generosity and a mentality of scarcity. When we allow that mentality to seek in, to seep into our lives, it also creates um, a, a attitude of entitlement. Well, I've been working to earn God's favor. I've been working to earn God's blessing in my life. I've been working to do all of these things. I'm working to do everything right. I'm showing up to church. I'm, I'm logging in online. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. So I should get what God has for me. And then when we look and we see other people that maybe they have a different type of blessing, we begin to, to covet that blessing. And we begin to look at it and say, well, I deserve fill in the blank. It's an attitude of entitlement. We, we talk a lot about attitudes of entitlement in our culture. Yet, for, for many of us, the deepest entitlement, um, the deepest entitlement mentality that we have is actually in our own spirituality. That we have this attitude of, well, I've done, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've done everything right. I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and I've done that. And, and what Jesus is trying to say to you is that is not the motivation. We have this attitude of entitlement. And the problem is, is that attitude of entitlement, when we don't get what we think we are owed, we begin to blame people and God. Well, God didn't give me what, what I should have had. I should have, my life should have been, my life should have gone a different way. My life should have been better. I should have got that promotion. I've done, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I should have gotten, I should have had help, more healthy relationships with these people. I should have, I should have seen uh, my life accelerate in this way and in that way. And what, what that comes from is an attitude that says, ultimately, I have earned, I have earned my right to be in a relationship with God. This this motivation, this false sense of motivation that, that allows us to think that we deserve and that we are entitled causes us to focus on the Tootsie Pop instead of the ice cream that's already in front of us. It causes us to, to lock in and, and be so blinded by the, the reality of all of the goodness that God has already given us and allows us to hyper-focus on the one thing that we think that we should have that we don't have. We have, a wrong, we have a wrong motivation often. And this motivation is what this passage is dealing with. It's helping us understand that, that there is a right motivation that lives out of what God has already done in my life. And there is a wrong motivation that says I should be earning what, what I believe God should give me in my life. So the question is, 
how do I know if I have the right motivation? I want to give you three questions this morning. And I, I would say it like this before we jump into these three questions, that if we, if we really want to get a good grasp on what we mean by godly motivation, I would say this, that God is less interested in your quality of work and he is more interested in the motivation of your heart. God is less interested in your quality of work and he is more interested in the motivation of your heart. I think it's very interesting when you read this story that there is no discussion about how good they picked. They went and picked grapes. Like, I think it's very interesting that nobody talks about the quality of harvest that the people who'd been working longer um, had, had pulled in. Why? Because God is less interested in the quality of work and he is more interested in the motivation of your heart. And the problem with that is, for Americans, that is hard to hear. Because for many of us, we have found value and identity in the quality of work that we do. Rather than finding our identity and value in the grace that has afforded us from Jesus Christ. And that, that again, goes to what is our motivation. So let's, let's talk about how we know we have the right motivation. The first question that you would ask if you want to do a motivation check is this. Am I grumbling or am I grateful? Am I grumbling or am I grateful? Do I, when, when I see uh, other people winning in life, when I see other people finding blessing in their life, do I look at it judgmentally and wonder why I don't have that and wonder why I am not sitting in the same seat that they are? Or am I grateful for them? Another way to say this uh, question would be to say that when you look across the community of faith, do you see it as a competition or a community? Do I look in my own life and see, like, kind of judgy, well, man, I, I'm, doing th I'm living this way, and I'm doing this thing, and I'm doing this thing. And I'm, I'm like, you know, like some of you, like, you think about it from, from a, a position of if I, if I make sure that I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I, do, and I pray, and, I, and, I'm in a, and I'm in a tribe, which, by the way, we want you to do all of those things. Those are good things. But they are not, those things are never meant to validate wrong motivation, we're to do them out of devotion, not so that we receive uh, what we expect from Jesus. It's, it is a complete motivation. And we sit there and we list all of these things and we say, well, I'm doing those things. I don't see that person doing this, but yet I see blessing in their life. And we see it as a competition. Do I see people as a competition or a community? Am I excited when I see other people um, receiving blessing in their life? Am I excited when I see other people gaining relationships that are meaningful in, in their life? Am I excited when I see somebody winning financially, even though I might still be struggling to get out of debt? Am I grumbling or am I grateful? These are actually two words used in this story, that it says that the, the people who came to the foreman and said, hey, why are you paying these people who worked less the same as us. It says that they were grumbling. And, and yet the owner challenges them, why do you have a problem with, with my generosity? Why are you not grateful for what you have and for the fact that I can bless other people? Am I grumbling or am I, am I grateful? This really makes it very clear where our motivation is. The second is this. Who is my source? Who do I see 
as my source? Who do you see as your source in your life? Now, if you're watching online or you're sitting in this room, we all, like, even if you haven't been around church that long, we all kind of know, like, what the right answer is, right? Well, God is my source. Cool. But do you, like, believe that? Do you believe it? I know that's an awkward question. I know that's an uncomfortable question, but do you believe that God is your source? And does your life reflect God being your source? When we talk about God being our source, this is, this is so important because it informs whether or not we are grateful or grumbling. Because when I see God as my source, it changes how I view blessing in my life. The issue that the men that started in the beginning of the day had was that they saw the opportunity to go work in a vineyard as their opportunity to earn, not a, a source given to them to earn. They saw it as, this is my opportunity to do what I need to do in order to be paid, not that we are being blessed by the guy who owns the vineyard. You see the difference? This is so important that we see this, that in our own lives, that the money that you have in your life, you didn't earn it. God supplied a job so that you could make money. And, and that's a hard, again, that's so hard for us that, that are Americans because we live in this mode of I, I'm the provider. I, I can pull myself by my own bootstraps. I can, I can make the money that I need to. And the question I have for you is, yes, you should, you should work hard. And yes, you should do the job. The Bible tells us to do everything as unto the Lord. But do you see your, your source as God? Or do you see your source as your skill and as your talent? Because it changes, it shifts our motivation when we begin to see it like that. I know that a great, a great way to know that if you are doing that in your own life is whether or not you're somebody who gives. When we talk about the area of money, if I believe that God is my source, it is not hard for me to, to understand that he wants part of that back and I choose to give that. It's an easy understanding. It's an easy understanding from the source. It is a, it is a request that the source gives me, that, that when God provides for me, when God provides work for me, that I give that back. It, if I struggle with that, it's because I struggle with God being my source. But for those of you who, who are frustrated that I'm talking about money, let's shift the gears for a second, right? Let's talk, about, let's talk about relationships. Do I believe that God is my source of healthy relationships? Do I, do I trust that God will bring in and, and remove the right people in my life in the right seasons? Well, if that's true, then when I'm in need of relationship, I will go to God and ask for the right relationships. It's the same thing with our time. If I believe that God is my source of my time, then I will find opportunities to serve in a way that gives back to God. We actually have step two today where we're going to give you the opportunity to find out how God has designed you to serve. And we want you to, to take us up on that and just discover how God's wired you. We, we want that more than anything, that you discover how God's made you to serve as church and get plugged in. And we, we tell all of that, we say all of that because whether we're talking about money or your time or relationship, we want you to know that we want generosity for you, not from you. 
And I know that it can sound very tongue-in-cheek for, for the guy who works at the church to say, hey, you should trust God and give to the church. But what I'm telling you is the reason why we can all do that is because we've seen God's blessing when we have invested our time and when we've invested our money into the house of God. We have seen the blessing of God open up in our lives in a way unlike ever before. And we know that it comes from that. And so when we say that we want it for you, not from you, we genuinely believe that. We genuinely want that. Who is your source? So my source will inform whether I'm grumbling or grateful. The other thing is this. The last thing is this. That ultimately all of that, if you could think about it like a house from the top all the way to the bottom, the foundation of all of these questions is this. Where is my trust? Where is my trust? Is my trust in myself or is my trust in God? Is my trust in myself or is my trust in God? I said earlier that, that the wrong mentality creates scarcity. When, when we look at this story and these men are frustrated at the, at the vineyard owner, they're frustrated because they ultimately don't trust the person that they're working for. They only trust in themselves. And that only trusting themselves causes them to see themselves as their source. And when they see themselves as their, their only source, then they find that they're more grumbling than they are grateful for what they've been given. And what God's calling us to do today in our own personal motivation is to start at the very bottom and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And when I begin to, to change my heart to trust God and to say, to say, Lord, even though it's, it's easier to trust myself, maybe, maybe when, I, when I choose to do that, something changes in my soul that I, when I begin to trust God, I can see him as the one who's provided everything every step of the way in my life. You know, it's amazing. Um, we've always, we've all heard the expression hindsight is twenty twenty. It's amazing when you begin to trust God in your own life, how you can retroactively look and see God's hand throughout your history. It's, it's insane. There are things that, that we chalk up to consequence. There are things that we chalk up to coincidence that, that are the providential hand of God in our life. And when we don't trust God, we pass it off as, well, I guess that I'm lucky. But when we begin to trust God, it opens our eyes up. It takes the blinders off. The scripture talks about um, scales falling off of our eyes. And we begin to see our life in this entirely different dimension where we can see God's hand moving over and over and over in our life. And when I trust God, when I begin to trust God, when I begin to say, Lord, I've been hurt, I've been wounded, it's hard for me to trust God. Maybe many of you would say that. It's hard for me to trust God because every other person I've ever trusted in my life has wounded me, has hurt me. 
But when I, when I choose to take one more chance and say, God, you've created me. I know that you care for me deeply because you care for all of humanity. I know that your justice and fairness is grace-filled. I know that regardless of what I think and regardless of what the world thinks, Father, you will operate out of your love and out of your grace. When I begin to trust God, all of these things begin to shift in my life and ultimately it places the right motivation in my heart. And Jesus tells this story. He tells this story to say to us that God deeply cares for you. And so much so that his grace and his mercy deeply impact, deeply impact his justice and fairness for us. And he is just asking in return that, he, that you would allow your heart that you would allow your heart to shift and not live out of a life of earning and not live out of a life where you feel like you have to do everything, but to live a life that is devoted to God and motivated out of what he has already done for you, not what you think you have to earn for him to do for you. Would you stand with me all over the room? you're at home, take just a moment. Maybe you're just sitting on your couch, close your, close your eyes and just, I'm going to ask everybody in the room to bow their heads. And I just want to ask a question. Where's your motivation? Where's, where's your motivation today? For so many of us, I want to speak to men for just a second. For so many of us, we find identity and value in what we can bring home. And, and there's a part of that in, in a healthy context that is a gift from God. That God wired us to, to, to be providers. That God wired us to serve our families in that way. But what I, what I want to say to you is that that is a function of God's provision in our life that is not something that we're to take on as an identity. And I just want to ask this, this morning, everybody's head bowed, everybody's eyes closed. If you're in here and you say, I, I've been living a life on motivation that is not healthy. Maybe you have a different motivation than what I talked about this morning, but you say, there's, a, there's an unhealthy motivation in me that I don't live a life that's motivated by God's grace and God's goodness. I, I live a life that's motivated out of fill in the blank. If that's you, would you just lift your hands in the room real quick? I want to pray for you. Say, yeah, 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 all over the room. Yeah, anybody else? There's several of you. Anybody else? Yeah. Father, I pray right now for, for every person in this room that says that they, that they want their heart to shift. God, that this story in your word, that this story, Jesus, that you give us would shape us, would change us. Father, I pray right now that it would begin to do that in our hearts. I pray that it would begin to, to do a work in us that will leave us never the same. Father, let us be people who live a life out of the abundance of your grace. Because Father, we, we live more like you on accident than we ever live um, 
on purpose when we live out of a life of grace. We live closer to you on, just out of grace on accident. And Father, I pray that that would, that that spirit of grace and that spirit of generosity that comes from you and that spirit of love and grace would fill our hearts today. In Jesus' name, the strong son of God, amen and amen.